The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome, everyone. And a big welcome to anybody who's here for the first time. And many of you know, but if you're new, we've been following along some of the content from Guy Armstrong's relatively new book. It's called Emptiness, a Practical Guide for Meditators. Guy is a well-known teacher in this tradition, the insight meditation scene here in the West, and uh, one of the main teachers out at IMS in Massachusetts and Spirit Rock in California. And um, for those who are reading along, we're on chapter 11 now, and it's part of a, a number of chapters right there in the middle of the book that's looking at this intersection between the Buddhist teachings on karma and the Buddhist teachings on emptiness. And it, I think, goes really right to the heart of what we're doing in meditation practice. Understanding what the Buddha is pointing to in terms of these teachings on emptiness. So again, in the most simple, pragmatic way, it's not a philosophy, it's not a philosophical statement, the Buddhist teachings on emptiness. It's something very straightforward. This moment, when we look at it, open to it from our own direct subjective experience, so we can try it, right, as I'm speaking, right? This moment is empty of anything other than this experience of the body and mind being known right now. So we, each of us, you know, different, we're having, knowing a different experience. Some of you might have some physical pain that, is predominant in the moment. And so you're, the awareness of the mind is knowing that pain or maybe there's some was some difficult interaction earlier in the day and there's an emotional charge still alive in your body and mind. And so you're sort of feeling it and chewing on the content a little bit. But in any moment, it's not quite right to say, I'm the person who had that experience and now I'm thinking about it, right? We tell a story that kind of makes the present moment feel big, (laughs) just to keep it simple. But actually, in any moment, it's just that being known. So maybe there's a little sadness. That's an emotion being known. Or maybe there's a mental image of some interaction I had earlier in the day. Well, that's a mental image being seen. Or maybe I'm noticing something in the room. Oh, that's something being seen or something being heard. And in that moment, our experience as a human being is just this being known. And the presumption that, oh, no, no, I have my past, I have my future, I have my likes and dislikes, I have all my opinions about who I think you are and what I think the world is. But all of that moment by moment by moment, is just something being known, something being known, something being known. So again, I'm just summarizing, one way at least, to summarize, when the Buddha talks about emptiness, he's really talking about our direct subjective experience and how it can be, how we can train the mind to understand it in a very simple way. It's just this moment being known. So basically, we're training the mind not to be confused by the meaning the thinking mind constructs about me, about mine, about what I like and what I don't like. Because all of that thought, it's not bad, and it's not wrong, it's still real, but a thought is just a thought being known. So there's a difference between thinking, I'm at Kamgram Meditation Center, and realizing that's just a thought being known, and the moment or the experience of being identified with that thought. So then the mind has constructed the story of a me, Mark Nunberg, and a place, Kamgarn Meditation Center, and then me being at that place. So that story then has the appearance of reality, but actually it's just thought being known content being known, right? In this moment. 
So that's emptiness. And then the Buddhist teachings on karma is basically saying as we observe our subjective experience because all of the Buddhist teachings don't refer to some metaphysical or absolute truth. They're just helping us clarify our direct subjective experiencing. Right right here. The knowing mind, awareness, being aware of the activity of the body and the mind. And so the teachings on karma is just as the mind observes moment by moment by moment the unfolding of this activity of the mind, this activity of the body. Remember, activity of the body are just the five physical senses, seeing, hearing, sensing, sensation, smelling and tasting to some degree. And that flows, as I said in the guided meditation, as a river, right? There's always... Um, one sound and then the next sound and one sensation and then the next and then the next and sensation, experience, thought, emotion. These are activities. They're dynamics flowing. And karma comes in as the mind can see that with more stability, more clarity, more balance. Then the mind realizes the conditional nature of what's unfolding doesn't matter what the mind is observing. could be thought, could be sensation, could be sound. But whatever aspect of experiencing the mind is observing, the mind observes the conditional nature. That this moment is conditioning the next moment. That's why it feels, that's why the mind makes the mistake and presumes there's something fixed or permanent here. Because... There is some continuity, right? some consistency. This moment looks like the next moment. But it's just conditioning, one moment conditioning the next. So, you know, in a simplistic way, we call, call this cause and effect, that it matters. Right? And what we see that really matters, the sort of input that's always in play, is how the mind is relating in the moment. Because if I'm relating as if my story that I'm telling myself, like maybe some of us, and we do, you know, we have a few organizing patterns that we repeat over and over, and it kind of makes up our personality. Some of us may have more of a shame pattern as an organizing principle for a lot of the meaning that we construct and live in. Others here in the room will have more like I'm better than others as an organizing pattern that we kind of keep coming back to over and over again. Or maybe we have one of those patterns that where we don't really want to be clear. It's like too much trouble. So we're, the pattern is to sort of get lost in fantasy or disconnect. So we have these patterns that we get lost in. And of course, even within those patterns, it's a lawful unfolding, right? And if we relate to those patterns, those personality patterns, those thinking patterns, if we identify with them as a kind of truth, like that's what's happening, that's who I am, this is the truth, then we say, in Buddhism at least, we say, well, that leaves an impression. There's karma, right? The identification being lost in thought affects how things, like if there's a moment of experience and the mind is lost in its opinion or thoughts about the experience, then there's some karmic implications to that. Just like if you're in a dream in the middle of the night and there's no lucidity. You're not aware that you're dreaming, right? Well, there's some karma consequences. Like if you're being chased down by wolves, if that's your dream, and the mind is completely identified with the dream, well, then the karmic implication is it's going to feel like you're being run down by wolves, right? Until the dream ends. And it's exactly the same in our waking life. If I'm like operating out of some shame pattern, not thinking I'm any good, not good enough, what are people thinking about me, 
did I do a good job? How can I, did I do a good, you know, that sort of hunger and fear and insecurity, and the mind is identified with it, then the act of taking that as the truth, the story my mind is telling me, the shame story my mind is telling me, the habit of taking that as the truth has karmic implications, right? It feels real. That's the fruit of that habit of taking that pattern personally, identifying with it or being attached to it. As opposed to like another alternative, we still are somebody with a shame pattern, right? That hasn't changed. But now there's some wisdom in the mind. And so the shame pattern, because it's the predominant organizing sort of personality pattern, gets triggered by some event. But now because there's wisdom, what does wisdom know? Wisdom knows there's the activity of the body being known and the activity of the mind being known. And it's just stuff being known. And it's always stuff being known. And some of that stuff being known is really seductive in the sense that the mind can get lost in it and forget it's just stuff being known. And other stuff is less seductive and it's just relatively easy for the mind to remain knowing Oh yeah, it's just this, it's just this, it's just this, it's just this. So when there's wisdom in the mind, that's a very different karmic implication, right? Because wisdom knows, oh yeah, there's that shame pattern. I've seen this, I know this, and it feels like this. And there's the absence of being confused by the shame pattern. doesn't mean the shame pattern isn't there, right? It's there, but because wisdom is there, there is the non-confusion. That's the new thing. And that's a different like trajectory. It's like without wisdom and our personality gets triggered in the way it gets triggered, then we go this way. With wisdom, we go this other way. One way involves suffering and stress that generally leads to more suffering and stress. And another way is more releasing and freeing and healthy emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, and allows us to be a better human being in the world. Now the interesting thing is to understand the intersection between emptiness, which is the teaching that there, there is, like this is how we say it sometimes in the tradition, yeah, things may be lawful, there may be karma, this law of karma, that how the mind is understanding, how the mind is relating, matters, affects how things unfold. If we know we're dreaming, it's not so intense to be chased down by wolves. right? Have you had some dreams where you're sort of semi-lucid, like you know you're kind of having a nightmare, but you know it's a nightmare and you're in your bed sleeping, but it's not as scary. The body and mind doesn't get as contracted, right? And when the mind is completely deluded, doesn't know anything except that this is being known, the dream is real, this is really happening, then it's a different implication. It's the same thing in daily life. If we're aware that these different personality patterns have been triggered and are operating, the different kind of lenses that we have a habit of wearing, of being frustrated or being reactive or being needy, being lonely, being loving, being generous. They're not all negative, of course, right? Hopefully. We don't have a personality with only unhealthy, contracted patterns, right? But now we're not confused. So when we have like a really beautiful pattern that's gotten triggered and we're being really generous and charismatic and engaged and responsive and happy, we don't personalize it. Oh, it's like this now. This is being known. We allow nature, but not ignorance, to continue. So there's two things that's affecting what the next moment's going to be that's conditioning the next moment. So if like a wholesome personality pattern has been triggered and is up 
and there's wisdom that knows this is how it is now, then both condition the next moment, both the personality pattern that's been recently triggered and the wisdom that knows it's just this being known. We can't really, I can't, you can't, we can't really stop different patterns from getting triggered. You could do things in the room right now that would trigger my defensiveness. That's one of my bigger patterns. Even bigger than that is a deep pattern that I'm a reasonable person. So if you acted in a way that made me think you thought I wasn't reasonable, you'd get a big reaction from me, right? Because I just presume you would think I'm a good person. And when people don't think I'm a good person, I notice I get really upset. It's like it brings up this very strong pattern, whether you know initial stages might be just being a little defensive, but it really sits, it's off in my heart. You know, it's just like, whoa, what's with that person, you know? And, uh, you know, it's, so, it's sort of like, I've worked so hard to be seen as a reasonable <laughs> person. And it's like, you know, I don't want to doubt that I'm a reasonable, so then I have to doubt you. Like, well, what's wrong with you that you wouldn't notice <laughs> what a reasonable, good person I am? But the more I've seen that and, and how it's thrown my mind for a loop, now there's more awareness, there's more wisdom there. So when that defensive pattern gets triggered, right, there's just a lot more space. So it really affects, like, I don't become weird. I don't start acting in counterproductive ways, acting out my defensiveness, judging somebody, getting more needy, really wanting them to confirm my self-worth. I don't have to do that because I know that that whole pattern and all the emotions that go with that pattern, I know to some degree, you know, in any given moment, it's just what it is. It's just that pattern being known. And it's not more than that. That's the emptiness piece. So this is so interesting and it makes sense. I was, you know, as I came to understand the Buddhist teachings more and more first, of course, just intellectually and then seeing it more directly in my experience, my subjective experience, it was really the cause for a lot of faith because this understanding of karma, that sort of conditional nature of our experience, how one moment conditions the next, the sort of lawfulness of how things unfold and how that can be comprehended just by observing it, it's lawful. It doesn't mean we can be so in tune that we can predict or be psychic. I mean, maybe some people can, I don't know. But but even in hindsight, what this deepening understanding of karma reveals is it always makes sense. It's like, have you, have you gotten to that place, at least in places in your life, where something's unfolded, but because your mind is balanced and has some clarity, some capacity to comprehend, that even though you never would have predicted this to happen, now having seen it and having a lot of trust in the conditional nature, the mind really gets that it couldn't have been other than the way it is right now. That given all of what's in motion, given the conditioning forces that were at play, that, that are at play, then this moment can't be other than it is. And you see how that's really conducive for being intimate, not rejecting the moment, and not pathologizing the moment as if like God made a mistake. You know, it's not supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to be snowing. You know, it's not, you know you're not supposed to be treating me this way or the world's not. No, given everything that's in motion, it can't be other than the way it is. So this is this integration of the law of karma the conditional nature. And from a subjective point of view, I can't do anything about what's showing up, but I can do something about how the mind is relating to what's showing up. So this is why the understanding of karma isn't the same as sort of what in philosophy we might call a deterministic model. Because in any moment, 
the mind can relate with wisdom. Oh yeah, it's like this now. Can see clearly, can comprehend the conditional nature. Or in any moment, the mind can be identified, get attached, take the natural, impersonal unfolding personally. And there's two very different karmic implications to whether there's wisdom there in the moment or what we might call ignorance there in the moment, like not understanding the impersonal, conditional nature, not understanding that it's just all these many, this web of conditions unfolding as they're going to do. When things are like this, it will be like this. And so that integration, that alignment with karma is really not different than the alignment with emptiness. Because the more the mind starts to comprehend the conditional unfolding of life, and again, we make mistakes when we use the idea of karma to evaluate the stories we have. Or the people in Korea, the reason it's like that is because of you know, their karma. That's not the teaching of karma. It's really meant to understand our subjective uh, unfolding of our experience and to see the lawfulness of it. Because when we kind of project it on others, it's just a fancy way to judge people, right? And when we're judging someone, we're personalizing experience. We're already, you know, not following the direction or the pointing out instructions from the Buddha. Because the Buddha is always talking like, it's always about here and now, the present moment. It's always about this dynamic unfolding of the present moment, the activity of the body and mind, what's happening right here in terms of our subjective experience. Not in terms of our ideas about the present moment or our ideas about what's unfolding for another person or, or even our idea of what's folding, unfolding for me. It's the direct seeing of it, knowing it, experiencing of it. And seeing that it's conditional, seeing that it really matters how the mind relates. And here's where the emptiness piece comes in. Takes time. But over, you know, just in respecting and aligning with the conditional nature and becoming vigilant, like knowing that it's relevant to pay attention to how things are unfolding in any moment of our life because it matters. If I'm relating from a self point of view, self-centered point of view with greed and aversion, it matters. It's going to really affect how things unfold. If I'm relating with a lot of space, I'm not taking things very personally, there's a real tenderness, a real forgiveness or patience or tender-heartedness, kindness, it's really going to be a different kind of unfolding relating from that other point of view. And the more we do that, the more the way, the way emptiness comes in is, on the one hand, it's like from a self point of view, I really want to pay attention because I don't want to make mistakes. I don't want to set something in motion that is going to cause me or anybody a lot of problems. So initially the vigilance, like really paying attention to how I'm relating feels personal. But the more we pay attention to the present moment, the more that tightness of taking, paying attention personally, taking karma personally, is seen as being unhelpful. Do you kind of get that? Like, this happens a lot when people start coming to a place like Common Ground and learning about the, the Buddhist teachings on mindfulness and we we start begin we start becoming more sensitive and we start to see that everything matters and and all of a sudden being mindful becomes a heavy trip it's like i really want to pay attention because it matters and when i'm not paying attention i can do stupid things and have really unpleasant difficult outcomes because i wasn't clear wasn't present wasn't intimate with the moment so we get tight about being mindful. We get tight about being a Buddhist. We get tight about like wanting Nibbana, wanting freedom, wanting to be done. We get tight. And I don't think there's any way to avoid that. 
The key is just to keep practicing. Because the more we practice, we see that being attached to being a Buddhist, being attached to being mindful, being attached to becoming a better human being gets in the way of being free, gets in the way of being mindful, gets in the way of being present, being skillful. So all of the self-trips we're going to inevitably have about our practice will get teased out. Because here's the thing about not-self, non-self, emptiness, anatta is the Pali word for this collection of teachings from the Buddha about the impersonal nature. It is the ultimate skillful means, right? Because the Buddha is not teaching emptiness. I mean, maybe it's like metaphysically or whatever true, all we, all that actually matters to you and me is that it's a skillful way, functional way to live your life. Right? Because you'll see when you, let's say some of you are raising children or some of you are falling in love right? or starting a life uh, living with another human being, sharing a life with another person, or you've gotten a cat... <laughs> Or whatever it might be, you know, or you find out you have a disease that you have to deal with, or some financial crisis you're dealing with, or some great success. You know, you've come into a lot of money, gotten a big promotion. So the tendency, you know, is always to personalize this as if I have to figure out how to be the person who has this problem, or I have to figure out how to be the person who has the success. But what the Buddha is saying, that what's really skillful is the integration of these two understandings. So something's happened, good or bad to us, so you can just bring to mind something that's actually happening to you. right? And, and then to be skillful, we need to bring together these two trainings. The training on karma, it really matters how the mind relates to whatever's happening. And the second skillful means, and this is a natural and impersonal unfolding of many causes and conditions. It matters how the mind relates, affects how things unfold, and no matter how things unfold, that unfolding is impersonal. It's lawful and it's impersonal. Right? Doing is, choices are being made, right? Do you know any life where there isn't choices constantly being made? I mean, even if you know a person who just spends a lot of time sitting on the couch, moment by moment by moment, the person intends, chooses to sit on the couch. Not to get up and clean, not to get up and get a job, right? So choices are being made, doing happens, but no doer, right? We can project a doer. So this is sort of the interesting thing we begin to unpack as we pay attention. It really matters. To the degree I'm framing my experience as if this conditional unfolding really matters to me, then there's tightness there. That too is impersonal and lawful. When we take the dream personally, the dream is intense. right? When the mind has some space, some lucidity, and knows it's just a dream, it's not so intense. But the dream is still the dream. Life is still life. Karma is still karma. It still matters how the mind relates. So a lot of people, when they, when they hear the teachings on emptiness, they think it extinguishes karma, like, oh, so karma doesn't matter because it's not personal. So you show up, and, uh, or you run into a squirrel that's been hit by a car, or you know something that would normally tug at our heartstrings, but, you know, were 
confused by the teachings and we start taking the teachings on emptiness personally. Well, that's not personal, you know. That's just seeing being known. You know, the little baby crying because it scabbed its knee or hurt its knee. Oh, that's just seeing and the crying, the wailing of the kid. That's just sound being heard. And even if the heartstrings do get tugged, you know, and you're kind of feeling, oh, that's just sensation being known, you know. I don't have to take care of the kid. I don't have to show up and figure out who its parent is and what to do. People misunderstand emptiness as if, oh, that gives somebody an excuse not to participate. But the thing is, it actually does just the opposite. It really frees up nature to be more nimbly responsive. What would get in the way of responding? Just because like when we show up in a skillful way and do what needs to be done, maybe we speak truth to power, maybe we keep quiet because we've been talking too much or you know, whatever it might be, but we're present, we have both the breadth and depth of awareness, we're really showing up, the qualities in the mind are clarity and kindness, right? So we're really showing up in a good way. You see, and... The mind isn't imposing a story that this is personal, isn't organizing or telling a story that makes this natural unfolding seem personal. What would stop engagement? What would stop that person, that activity of the body and mind from being skillful and doing what needs to be done? Do we need, in other words, do you need... In your mind, do I need in my mind the sense that it's personal in order to be a good human being, a responsive human being? It's really nice when we catch ourselves saying the right thing, doing a good thing, being generous, being kind, being patient, restraining unskillful tendencies, and see it as the activity of nature. Otherwise, being a good human being just becomes a heavy trip. Who wants that? You know, it's like, oh, I'm so exhausted being a good human being. I can't wait to be a bad human being again. (laughs) You know, it's like, I've been a good human being, you know, two-thirds of the day. I deserve to be a bad human being. Because doesn't it seem that way? It seems easier to be bad than than it does to be good. Now, why would that be? Because it actually seems that way some of the time. But it's just a matter of the force of habit. So it is true, and we can confirm this directly in our experience, that it's easier to just flow with the habits that have the most momentum, even if they're unskillful, even if the habits have a lot to do with taking things personally, acting out of greed and aversion, selfishly. It can seem easier because... There isn't the depth, the depth and the breadth of awareness. We're not really seeing what's getting set in motion. Just like in our dream, it can seem easier just to be identified and to act out as if the fear, the greed, the lust is the story of the lust and fear and greed is what it is. It's like that story is the truth. Instead of, oh no, it's just that. So as long as we're personalizing what we're sensitive to, life is going to be heavy. It's going to feel challenging and difficult. And this is the intermediary place in spiritual life. We go from you know, having habits of distraction and denial and delusion, and we use those to try to get through life, And it doesn't really work, but it works just well enough to continue using the habits of distraction and denial and delusion. But when it stops working well enough, then we start this awakening process and we start to wake up to those unwholesome patterns of being greedy, being hateful, 
wanting to distract ourselves, wanting to be addicted or in denial. And we see they don't work, so we're willing to feel what it feels like to be hateful without acting it out. To feel like we want to get lost in distraction, but don't do it because we know it doesn't help. So the intermediary place in spiritual practice is we're sensitive. It's very unpleasant because we feel the force of habit to react, but we don't trust the reaction anymore. You know, we just want to go drink or we just want to act out in these different ways, but we sort of know what it leads to. It doesn't help. So we're, we're doing a lot of the work of refraining, at least some of the time. And the other half of the time, we act it out again, and then we confirm, oh yeah, it doesn't work. It didn't really make me happy as I wanted it to make me happy. You know, I really let that person have it, told them what I felt, but because I was coming from a place of hate, now my life is even messier because I acted out that anger. And so this is that difficult middle place, and it can seem to make more sense to want to go back to the place of being oblivious and just acting out whatever habit energies are biggest. Like it seems a lot of work to be aware and then to act according to what awareness reveals, like awareness of karma. Oh yeah, when I relate with this attitude, things get really tight and they don't work. It's like So once the mind sees it, then it's sort of obliged to live accordingly. And that's not easy because it's got these forces of habit. And so there's a little bit of a war between the budding wisdom that knows that's not going to help and the force of habit that says, do it anyway. <laughs> you know, Maybe this time it will work. <laughs> so it's like we did, most of us, or some of us at least, you know, when we would party hard when we were younger, thinking, you know, this is going to be fun. And then we get a little older and we go, that's just not fun. <laughs> and then you have to wake up, you know, in the next morning and you realize what has been set in motion and, you know, wish you hadn't, right? How many times do we repeat these patterns? Overeating, watching too much, you know, binging on a series, you know, TV series or something like that, movie series. Only to kind of feel the very lawful, natural repercussions of having done that. So if we stick it out in this middle, what begins to happen is the mind becomes even more intimate, more astute about how much it matters. But the mind also understands that even though things are lawful, they're not personal. This is what allows the mind to go to the nth degree. Because otherwise it seems like from a personal point of view, thinking like, how am I really going to go beyond all aversion, all hate, all greed, all distraction? You know, It just feels like, from my personal point of view, not going to happen. You know, I'm just too stuck in the mud. I'm just... My mind is just so filled with greed, anger, delusion, I can't. But the thing is, this process of purification is itself empty. It's not personal. So this is what really builds the momentum in practice. When we see the person who's trying to be a good person as an impersonal activity of nature. It's still there. There's still Mark Nunberg who has a tendency to be defensive, who has these particular triggers built into his personality, has this sort of past. But there's also a budding wisdom that understands that that's nature, not self. So then wherever that particular personality is on its path of becoming less toxic, more friendly, more resilient, more spacious. There's also wisdom that understands where it's at, like in a really primitive, still reactive, nuts to wholesome personality, 
or a really refined, really developed, saintly personality. So wherever the personality is along the spectrum, it's impersonal at any point along that spectrum. You could find the serial killer or the serial rapist or you know, somebody who's just really stingy or mean-spirited. But that person, what we call that person, is that nature, just impersonal nature unfolding causes and conditions, or is there really a bad person there in a kind of essential, permanent way? Somebody who deserves our hatred. What is it? Or you, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, maybe you bumped into somebody who seemed to have a lot of saintly qualities, really patient, really generous, really sweet sense of humor, resilient, bright, you know, engaged, not afraid. Is that, uh, is that person special in some kind of permanent, essential, like you're really good? Is there somebody in there that's just good? Or is that just nature? Just the, the natural, impersonal unfolding of many causes and conditions. You know, like when you're walking through the wood or you're backpacking or something and you see this meadow and it's just like perfect. You know, there's like a babbling brook and some really interesting rocks and enough open space that you have some views, but enough of those trees that sort of bring some beauty and you can feel, see the wind blowing through the leaves, right? And it's just like heaven on earth and there's just some sense of This is a sacred spot. This is special. And you know, the habit of the mind is to impose like, make it special, make it like, (coughs) excuse me, an entity. There's something here. And the same thing, if you walk and there's like a place that maybe there was a blowdown or maybe there's a real bad infestation of some kind of fungus and a lot of the plants are dead and whatever it is, or someone left a lot of trash there. You know, we can have a different, like, oh, this is an unholy place. This is a little hell realm here, you know. This has bad energy. You know, we, and we kind of make it a thing. But both, the very sweet spot and the very yucky spot, it's just nature. It's not personal. The beauty and the terror is not personal. It's just a very natural, real play of causes and conditions. And that's true with our personality, whether we're in a particular moment being a jerk or in a particular moment being really saintly and wise. Neither are personal. We don't need to relate to the being the jerk or being the saint in a personal way. But even though we're not personalizing it, the wisdom that knows it matters how the mind relates, that is also nature. Wisdom is not personal. The seeing the truth of karma, that it matters how the mind relates. If I take it personally, things get tight. If I'm intimate, if the mind is intimate but not taking, in, taking it personally, then the mind, the way things unfold will be much looser, much more free. So this is the, the real awakening is when we see that wisdom, the wisdom that doesn't cling, the wisdom that knows that it matters, and the wisdom that knows not to cling, not to get tight, that even that isn't personal. So when, you're, when that wisdom isn't there, it doesn't feel like a personal failing. When we see ignorance and we're living and framing things in a really primitive way, like really frightened, really needy. Wisdom can see that too, like, well, yeah, sometimes it's like this. And when the wisdom is really strong, really resilient and spacious, yeah, sometimes it's like this. Then you know your practice is maturing when you're not afraid for ignorance to arise because wisdom knows that sometimes ignorance arises. And that wisdom does the best it can when the forces of ignorance are there, forces of greed, forces of delusion. It doesn't make sense for wisdom to give up. It just does the best it can. And that 
force of ignorance, that force of greed or hate or whatever it might be, is just going to play itself out in the same way that a tidal wave is going to play its energy out or a tornado is going to play its energy out and will have the destruction it will have. Same thing when those things arise. And this doesn't mean like knowing that my tendency to be defensive or my tendency to be arrogant or my whatever unhelpful tendency there might be. Noting that, noticing it and knowing that it's going to do what it's going to do actually supports me being more skillful with it, lessening the destructiveness of that particular pattern. So seeing the empty nature, the impersonal nature, allows the mind, the wisdom to be closer and to do what can be done. But we can't arrogantly think that I can just, because that's taking things personally, like I should be able to stop myself from being a jerk. Well, good luck. You know, it doesn't seem to work. But what we can do is we can be intimate so when there is those tendencies to be a jerk, we can, the mind can be intimate. And if it can't change how that tendency acts itself out, it can at least connect the dots and see that it doesn't help, that it makes things worse. And then that feedback loop changes it going forward, seeing that being a jerk leads to suffering, makes it less likely that the mind is going to act that way in the future naturally, without anybody needing to do anything, just the tracking of the experience. So don't worry if this, what I said tonight, doesn't make a lot of sense. It's, it is kind of subtle. But we have about 10 minutes. It'd be nice to hear from a few of you questions that you have or your own comments from your practice. Remember to point the mic right at your mouth like this. Yeah, Michael, you want to start us off? Yeah, but the thing about um, that, just the insight, like remember karma is a deepening understanding. It's a natural arising over generally over a long period of time where the mind has emerged from habits of distraction and denial, right, obsession, into more mindfulness. And because of the mindfulness, it begins to comprehend the lawful nature of karma cause and effect, the conditional nature. And once the mind begins to see it, it can't stop itself from seeing it because it's sort of like a power. Knowing that things are lawful, that things are conditional, that it matters, then the mind, even though it's intense to feel and to look and to open and to comprehend because it means relying on sensitivity. And that's immense and intense, right? Because there's so much to see and feel. But the mind can't stop itself. There's a natural process because it gives the mind more power knowing that it matters. So then knowing that it matters, it wants to comprehend the lawful unfolding. Even if it can't control it, it wants to start connecting the dots, right? It's just like my cat, you know, it's sort of, it's trying to read us like, in the morning when it wants to be fed, sometimes it would sit on my wife's chest and it would just reach its paw and just touch her on the nose <laughs> like that, you know? Or scratch. Another thing, if we have any papers on the kitchen counter, we'll chew them because we don't want it to chew those papers. So we get up, you know? And, then, and it's trying to sort of see what works. And once we start responding to some of these things. That It's like we set something in motion where the cat is going to continue to probe and try to connect the dots and see, is this lawful? Are these people lawful? Is this dynamic of getting fed a lawful thing? How best to participate in it? And so we're going to get drawn into this messy world where we'd rather be distracted, but we can't forget, we can't deny the fact that it matters and that it can be comprehended. And we start to participate in this world. And it's kind of a business world, like, you know, we're trying to make a living, you know, in this lawful world of business. Well, we're trying to find ease and safety in this world of cause and effect. 
and from a self point of view it's intense and overwhelming and we and exhausting and frustrating but if we stick with it enough a deeper insight just naturally emerges which is participating in this world of cause and effect from the point of view of nature and not self so we're showing up we're being more intimate but we're not personalizing what we're feeling we're not personalizing what we're seeing. And that really allows us to feel what we're feeling. It's not easy. It's the hardest thing in the world to feel what we're feeling. And the thing is, even when we get good at feeling what's going on in our own life, the sensitivity just makes it so we start to feel what's going on in everybody's life. All the suffering, all the injustice, all the messiness in the world, it is so immense. And if you think happiness comes from living in a gated community and pretending that nobody's suffering, try it. It doesn't really work. It may look from the outside like it's working. But if we could inhabit people, you know, and we know this because we do it ourselves, of course, what it's like when we're in denial, it's a dead feeling. The only way forward, see, this is the great thing about tuning into karma. It does two things. It takes us along this path of becoming more radically sensitive and it takes us along this path of seeing that it's all impersonal. And that's what really makes us a saint. Because it's impersonal, we're not afraid to feel and respond. If it was personal, it would be overwhelming. But it's precisely because it's that we don't have to personalize it that we can really do what needs to be done. We have to leave it here. I I talk too much, sorry. But let's just take a few seconds and let go of the words. Just enough time for one or two breaths. And to appreciate from the Buddha, on down, all the women and men, all the folks before us with their complicated lives, busy lives, they did their practice, gained some understanding, deepened their wisdom and compassion, passed on the teachings to the next generation. And like that, one generation after another, it ends up in this corner in Minneapolis at this time. Now we're hearing these teachings, understanding them to some degree, living them out, becoming wiser, kinder human beings. It's our turn to do the best we can and to become part of the causes for this wisdom and kindness to continue onward. So may this be so. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.